everybody. Welcome to the X Report. I am Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka I guess he must be whispering in the ear of the Grizzlies uh, GM because apparently all they've been doing is making trades. Ethan, what's going on with the Grizzlies this offseason? It'll be interesting to see how the rest of the offseason goes for the Grizzlies. Uh, we'll talk more about these past few weeks of trades um, in just a bit. But, of course, welcome to the X Report. Today, we, of course, are going to continue on with our reviews of each team, each division in the NFL. Of course, this week now we are on the AFC and NFC North. We are going to break down those divisions. Um, with regards to the NBA, we are going to, like I said, talk about some of those uh, Grizzlies trades, how it's going to work. We're going to pick some of the best opening week and uh, Christmas games after the NBA released its schedule. And then, of course, of course, it's SummerSlam weekend. And we're going to close out the show, give, well, I'll close out the show giving my picks for this upcoming slate of wrestling. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get this bad boy started. So we all know that it has been a pretty turbulent offseason for the Green Bay Packers, but since Aaron Rodgers announced that he will be returning to the team, things have kind of mellowed out a bit, which begs the question of what other teams could potentially be going through this? Well, if you ask Brett Veach, the GM of the um, Kansas City Chiefs, he doesn't think that that situation that happened with Aaron Rodgers would happen with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City he said but I find it hard to believe that what happened there could happen here so we're gonna this is a new segment called did they play themselves do you think that Brad Beach played himself and the team by saying that what happened with A-Rod could never happen with Patrick Mahomes um I think he did because the reality of it is that in the current moment I don't think it happened because Patrick Mahomes is already on an established team with a lot of established talent. Like they have Tyreek Hill, they have um, Travis Kelsey, they have Nicole Hardaway, and they also don't really have like a true backup to get where they be beefing in the front office. But I do think later down the line in their country, I could definitely see something like this happen. Yeah, I can. I think they played themselves too, just because. You never really know how the future is going to unfold. Like you mentioned right now, everything seems to be going great. But who's to say it's going to be that same way a few years down the line after players like Travis Kelsey retire or their offense isn't clicking the way that it is now. So, yeah, I think they played themselves. All right, we got another contestant for playing themselves. Uh, Justin Field, who after last um, last week's opportunity to play in the preseason uh, for the Bears, he was asked about the speed of the NFL, to which he said, it was actually kind of slow to me. Many people gave their comments on it, one of which being Marcus Spears, who works for ESPN, who said, oh, it's going to speed up, don't you worry. 
Did Justin Fields play himself? Yes, because one in the preseason, me and you both know that the way defenses play in the preseason are the way that they play in the regular season. It's not that many blitzes called in the preseason simply because guys are not trying to show their hand and are also trying to protect their players. And I think, for one, he's not playing the ones. He's playing the twos and the threes. I'm actually watching the preseason game right now. And they getting their butts kicked. Yeah, and it's not really on him. It's more or less their defense has been bad. But I think that I will – he spoke to so making this statement simply because once you play – like, let's say he somehow gets into the game week one against the Rams. You're going up against Aaron Donnie. You're going up against Daniel Ramsey. You're going up against big, big great Rams defense, one of the defenses that's – in my opinion, it's going to be one of the top five of the um, NFL this coming season. Yeah, I think he played himself too, especially because it's not – like you said, you're saying it's during a preseason game against twos and threes. You're not really seeing the live bullets yet. You're not really getting that full playing experience. So, of course, it's not going to be as tense of a situation. And I think that we can look back just this past season with Tua Tungavailoa when he took over for the Dolphins when they were rolling and he made the comment of he doesn't feel like the NFL was that hard. Literally, that next game against the Broncos, he played terribly and got benched. And it's just – I think with rookies, like, I understand you want to have confidence in yourself, but especially in the preseason, you don't have much room to talk just because this isn't real yet. This isn't really what the NFL is like. So, yeah, I think I think he played himself, and I think that especially once he hits the regular season and whenever he gets the opportunity to start, he's going to see that it is a very fast league to adjust to. But, all right, let's talk about another quarterback making some adjustments, and that's Jalen Hurts in Philly. Now, it seems like despite whatever is going on, you know, Nick Cerrone, the Eagles head coach, and their front office has yet to officially name quarterback one. But apparently, uh, Hurts' teammates love him. Uh, reports are saying that it's a growing sentiment around Eagles players that Jalen Hurts is undoubtedly the franchise quarterback. His worth ethic, intangibles, and overall skill level has captured the entire locker room per Jordan Schultz. So, if you are the Philadelphia Eagles, are you going to ride the wave of Jalen Hurts, see where it goes? Or are you still trying to make moves to improve at the position? Um, I think just in the case of them, I would ride the wave and see where it goes. For one, a big reason is like they need help in other positions on their team. Like they need help in the offensive line, which could actually help Jalen Hurts progress as a quarterback. They need help on the defensive side of the football. So I think one of the things that people tend to forget is like this, having a franchise quarterback is amazing, but it is a team game. It's the two side it's the two sides to a football team, it's the offense and the defense. And if you have a let's say you have a weaker quarterback, if you have a great defense, they can make up for a lot of quarterback play. I.e., we've seen it with the Bears in the past. Um, we've seen it with the New York Jets in the past. So I think if I were them, I would attempt to ride out Jalen Hurts and improve the team in other areas and then maybe look for a quarterback if we need Yeah, I agree, especially because uh, if we're being honest, looking at the team right now, they're not necessarily in a position, you know, to where they're – 
totally struggling. Um, I think that they also don't have a lot of pressure attached to him, attached to them. Nobody really thinks the Eagles are going to come out and win a Super Bowl or anything. I mean, it's hard enough for them to really make the playoffs. So I think that with so many new pieces, you know, getting the opportunities like Jalen Hurts, like a new head coach and the different uh, coaches on the coaching staff, I think that this year could definitely just be a tryout year just to see what, where, how far you can go with what you have. And then from there, try to make new adjustments, whether that is going after a different quarterback or at least bringing in more wide receivers and plus not to mention Jalen Hurst is still on a rookie deal so that definitely gives you more flexibility as opposed to maybe trading for a guy um like a uh, Deshaun Watson or someone like that because they that's going to take up a whole lot of money out of your cap which is going to make things a bit more complicated um so yeah with with that in mind I would definitely recommend just Stick with what you got. You don't really know what could happen. Jalen Hurts could either be terrible and you know easily you move on, you draft somebody, trade for somebody, or he proves to be better than expected and you have your quarterback of the future. All right, so let's move on. Let's talk training camp slash preseason injuries. Um, Honestly, not too much to really report here. Probably the biggest one is coming out of New York uh, with the New York Jets, where it was announced that this week, Carl Lawson, a defensive end who they just signed this past offseason, has suffered a season-ending torn Achilles. Um, Unfortunately, this is not the first time um, uh, Carl Lawson has suffered serious injuries. In fact, this will be the third Serious injury he has suffered since 2014. He's already suffered two torn ACLs and now a torn Achilles. So, for the Jets, how big of a blow is it to lose Carl Lawson? Oh, it's hard to say simply because you love to say it all the time. It's hard to uh, lose what you never had. And this is his first season with the Jets. I think... But I do think that his presence and what he might have brought to the team, because he is a tremendous pass rusher, and we know that the Jets aren't good at rushing the passer. So I think that they'll miss that in the future simply because he he was going to be a guy that could bring something that they lacked severely. Yeah, and I mean, because they really haven't had much experience with him, it's hard, like you said, to gauge it, but... I'll just say this. They had a lot of money that they gave to him this offseason. Of course, when you pay somebody like that, you're expecting to see a return of the value on the field. So that's going to be unfortunate. And another thing is, I'm guessing because they did bring him in, that they didn't make too many other moves to upgrade that pass rush, which had some struggles last year. So I think that in terms of kind of missing out on the money and just what he could bring to that defense, I think it does hurt. But I think that it's just going to require their defense to get creative and find – Um, different ways to create a pass rush and hopefully have someone break out. One guy who, had we been doing the AFC East this week that I probably would have mentioned as a breakout, is a guy like Bryce Huff, um, was an undrafted rookie out of Memphis, actually, but he made the team and actually put up a couple of – couple of sacks and has been performing well in the preseason so maybe he's a guy that you look at to create more pressure we know that Quentin Williams is going to take a step up in that regard so it's really just about who's going to step up and do it alongside him but all right let's go ahead and review the AFC and NFC North to have some fun so starting off with the most underrated team in the AFC North Ethan who would you say that is most underrated team in the AFC North. I'm actually trying to remember where all the teams in the AFC North. Browns, Ravens, Steelers, Bengals. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Uh, to me, I think 
definitely the most underrated team. I'm actually going to go with the Ravens. And the reason I'm saying this is because, like, the Steelers are the Steelers. They aren't really necessarily expected to win big. But since they have such a huge fan base, it's always high expectations with their franchise. And honestly, everybody in the free world seems to be riding this Cleveland Browns bandwagon. Saying that they have, they're going to have like a top 10 defense. They're going to make it to the Super Bowl because of Baker Mayfield and things of that nature. And I feel like Baltimore, because they haven't, they lost more than they brought in. I think that people have kind of just um, written them off and seen them as an afterthought. Yeah, which is, I would agree with that. I'm actually going to say the Steelers are the most underrated team. I know that we gave the Steelers a lot of flack last year, but, I mean, 11 straight wins is 11 straight wins. And regardless of their talent or how they did it, they still managed to win 12 games a season ago. They won the division. And while they did lose quite a few pieces, I just think that we have to kind of understand that one thing that the Steelers are are consistent. They're not going to be a team that's just going to lay down and take it. And so I think that even though – you know, you talked about Baltimore losing a lot. I would say, you know, Pittsburgh lost a lot as well. But, I mean, they still have most of the pieces on their defense. Offensively, their receiving core is still there. Big Ben is going to be there trying to really right the ship and I think go out in a blaze of glory if this really is his rookie year, I mean, final season. So, with that being said, I think that the Steelers are really getting slept on right now. All right, most overrated team. This is where I see the Cleveland Browns, like, for everything you mentioned, I think that we saw this just a few years ago, too, um, after Baker's rookie year and they got Odell. Like, people really were trying to put the Cleveland Browns in the Super Bowl conversation, which was wild. And now, in this situation, you know, looking back at it now, this team definitely inspires more hope than that of the past team. But I still think that one thing you have to be able to do is do it consistently. Anybody can be great one year, but can you do it again? And I think that that's really the question that comes with the Cleveland Browns. But by most analysts and fans, you would think that they had just won a Super Bowl with how much hype they got around them. Yeah, for me, I'm also going with the Cleveland Browns with basically everything that you just stated. People have kind of written them into one of those teams that are instant, like, playoff contending teams. And it's like they haven't proven consistently that they can do that and who's to say like in my personal opinion they could be an injury or two away from completely falling apart like if Nick Chubb were to get hurt and one of and honestly I wouldn't even say oh yeah I would say Jarvis Landry yeah because Baker Mayfield has a better rapport with Jarvis Landry than he does Odell if one of those guys were to get hurt, because we don't know what their defense is going to look like. Yes, they added David Glamour, but I just, I just had one thing run the coast last year with the Titans. Who's to say, like, is he going to actually produce? So I got to go Cleveland. Yeah, and I mean, I'm happy you kind of mentioned like an injury or two making that change. Nick Chubb will be a huge blow. Another possible one is if Miles Garrett goes down. I don't care what other pieces you bring on that defense. Miles Garrett is far and away your best defensive player, and you're not going to sit here and try to convince me that Jadavian Clowney is all of a sudden just going to become a sack master. It ain't happening. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to the positive side. Who is your favorite player in the AFC North? My favorite player in the AFC North? Um, 
I'm actually going to say Cam Hayward. You know, I love a good D-lineman, and I think he's one of the better D-linemen in the, in the NFL, and I think he's underrated also. So I got to go with Big Cam. I respect Cam. I mean, I respect a lot of players on the Steelers. Can't say I like them, though. But I respect I respect Cam a lot. I, I thought that I probably would go in a different direction, but I can't. It's Joe Burrow. Like, Joe Burrow is my guy. LSU born and bred. Like, I mean, he brought us a national championship. And it's only a matter of time before he's my favorite player in the entire league. But for right now, he's my favorite player in the AFC North. And I was actually thinking about it. It's weird because Baltimore is my favorite team. But in terms of, like, overall my favorite players, there's really not many players in Baltimore who I would really put in, like, my top five. Like, probably my favorite player is Marlon. It's probably either Marlon, Justin Tucker, or uh, Patrick Queen. But other than that, like, there's really no other player that, like, I love so much. It's really just a collaborative effort in Baltimore. Which is weird. But all right, so let's talk our breakout player of the division. I just said his name, but I'm going Patrick Queen. I think that because of the uh, seasons of great rookies like Jeremy Chen and Chase Young in the NFC, we kind of just forget about the great year that Patrick Queen had as a rookie. Sure, he wasn't perfect, but I mean, stepping into an inside linebacker role in Baltimore, of all places, is very tough considering the complex defense and the lineage of linebackers to come before him. However, Patrick Queen played tremendous and really excelled in his role, and he's only getting better by all accounts from training camp, his coaches, even the little things, little time he spent in the preseason, like he has really grown and evolved from where he was um, last year. And I think that this can be a year where he becomes a household name as far as being one of the top young linebackers in the league. Yeah, I'm actually in agreement with you. Um, I actually watched the Ravens and Saints preseason game, and he literally was all over the field making plays. And I think that given the fact that, like, this NFL offseason looked very similar to what a normal offseason looked like. Like, they didn't – I don't – they didn't have preseason last year. I don't – if I'm not mistaken. No, they didn't. Yeah, so, like, now he's actually going through a preseason. He's going through actual training camp. He's going through OCAs. Like, I think he's going to be a severely – a drastically better player than he was this past season, this rookie season. And I think he's going to take this step to maybe being a top – I can see that. I mean, honestly, I think that this could be a year where he proves to be the best linebacker in the division. Um, I think that Devin Bush, if he can stay healthy, is definitely going to be in an argument for that. But I think that Patrick Queen is really well suited to establish himself. All right, so rookie to watch. Who are you watching this uh, year? Uh, rookie to watch for me, I'm going to watch Jamar Chase. I'm going to give your, your body for some love. I think that even though the Bengals' offensive line isn't that great, I feel bad for Joe Burrow in that fact. But I think they having Jamar Chase. I think they're going to build a connection that they had at LSU, and I think they're going to put up numbers. I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball, and I'm actually going to look to the Browns. And I'm going to say uh, Jeremiah Ouso-Karamu. I hope I said that right. But J-OK, as uh, he's normally called. I mean, 
if we're talking like preseason standouts, he definitely stood out against the Jags last week, had eight tackles, I think a couple of tackles for loss as well. And that's what he has brought in there to do, not only to really help reignite their linebacking core, but also to be that every down back. He can be sideline to sideline. He's good in coverage, a solid tackler, as well as can rush the passer. And I think that that is something that the – uh, Brown's defense has not had for a long time. We talked about it earlier. We know Miles Garrett is that guy, but at behind him, it's really hard to find guys to really step up like that. And I think that JOK at his best could really do that. But all right, let's talk bold predictions. My bold prediction is after an uninspiring start to the season, the Browns cut their losses and trade Odell Beckham Jr. I think that we've kind of we've heard the rumors of him potentially being traded. You talked about it earlier. It's clear that Baker Mayfield has much better chemistry with Jarvis Landry. And while Odell is a more talented wide receiver, his abilities fit a different offense. This is not an offense that's going to sling the rock 30, 40 times a game. They really live and die by the run. And, I mean, when you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, I don't see why you don't. And so just because of that, I think that the frustration is going to get to both him and the organization, and Odell's going to end up finally being traded. My bold prediction is that at some point during this season, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be one of the teams that make a call to get a quarterback. Simply because I think that Big Ben is on the last legs of his career. And he's also, he hasn't been healthy. Like, he always ends up getting hurt. And they don't really have great options in backup quarterback. So, I could see them potentially making a call to, say, one Phillip Rivers. I could see that. Um, all right, so who's winning the division? Baltimore. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I got Baltimore as well. All right, let's move on to the NFC North. This one is... If you ask me, I really think it's a two-team race. Uh, but the most underrated team, in my opinion, I'll probably go the Minnesota Vikings. I think that in terms of this offseason, they've had a very strong offseason uh, with regards to bringing in talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Patrick Peterson was a great addition. Um, they got Dalvin Tomlinson to come play on their defensive line. And then bringing back the guys who were injured or sat out last year, Michael Pierce, another strong defensive tackle is back. Eric Kendrick is going to be healthy. Anthony Barr is going to be healthy. And so I think that the Vikings right now are really shaping up to have a really solid roster. For me, I got to go with my, uh, my Chicago Bears. I know I'm a Titans fan. I'm saying my Chicago Bears. But I love the Bears also. And the reason I'm saying this is because I think that they're offensively, they're going to be better than they were last season. We're, they're bringing back players such as Donnell Mooney, Allen Robinson. They're also adding Marquise Goodwin from the um, – he opted out of last season and he's returning. They also have a baby of tight ends that are – that you can have at your disposal. Um, Jimmy Graham, Cole Kimmy, Jesse James. And I think Andy Dalton, whether it's Andy Dalton or Justin Fields, I think that their quarterback play is going to be better than um, Mitchell Trubisky. I, don't, I think it's going to be maybe more consistent than Mitchell Trubisky, which will help. And they're also bringing back a lot of key pieces on the defense, like Eddie Jackson, he returns from injury. Or Kim Meeks is returning from injury. They have one of the better young linebackers in Wilcorn Smith. I think they also have a pretty good 
turning that corner. I think this is this is a team that people are kind of like like they're only focusing on the quarterback player Justin Fields, but this is an overall, in my opinion, good team. Alright, so who's the most overrated team in the division? Um, it's hard to say the Packers because they're the best team, but I still gotta say the Packers. Because I just think that, like, they're a really good team, but they also have, like, some really, like, key holes in their team. Like, who's going to step up outside of Devontae Smith? Devontae Adams, their receiver. I love their front seven, but outside of Jair Alexander, I don't like their secondary. And, like, who's to say, like, and, and all it takes really to me is the number one. Like, all it takes is an Aaron Rodgers injury and the, one of the worst things in the NFL, in my opinion. It's kind of hard to really call anybody in the NFC North overrated. Like, because, I mean, like, we know the Packers are the best team, and then, like, every other team is, like, pretty much, like, set in terms of, like, expectations. So, if – I'm going to say the Bears being a bit overrated. Like you mentioned, like, all the focus is on the quarterback group. But, I mean, there's also some other questions. I think that we know that Allen Robinson is great. But, I mean, you mentioned uh, Marquise Goodwin, who is very fast, but he's coming off of, um, you know, opting out of the year. How long is it going to take for him to really get himself going? Darnell Mooney made a few plays last year, and everybody's hyping up his praises, but can he really do it in an expanded role? Not to mention defensively. We know that Khalil Mack is the man. They have very good linebackers, but they're secondary. I mean, they lost quite a few bodies last year at corner, and so they're going to be relying on different guys to really step up, even though Eddie Jackson is going to be turned on the back end. Of course, which helps, but I just think that, like I said, it's it's not that I think the Bears are overrated or bad or anything. It's just I think that in terms of expectations, I think they're. A, I don't know. I just think the Bears roster is even with their quarterback, whoever it is. I think that they're not necessarily in a position to really take over, if that makes sense. Uh, but all right, my favorite player in the NFC North. It was going to be an LSU Tiger. And last year it was Jay Jettis. And this year it's my main man, Patrick Peterson, my favorite defensive player in the league. It's so happy to see him in the purple and gold. For me, it's none other than the King Hicks. If you know me, you know that King Hicks is my favorite player in the whole NFL. He's an underrated defensive lineman. I'm happy that he's back from injury. I think his addition to the Bears going to help solidify them as a top 10 defense. All right, so um, I messed up, and I forgot to include this category earlier, but who has a prove-it year? So we can just give both our AFC and NFC. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Um, a prove-it year, I think from the AFC, I'm going to say Joe Mixon. I think... He's received a lot of love, but I think it's also a big group of people that are kind of like, are you going to be a top back or not? Or are you going to be that fringe type of guy? And I think given the fact that like he's gonna, he's probably going to be heavily relied on in a lot of ways in the offense, I, I would probably go Joe Mixon. Um, as far as the NLC approved years, I'm going to say Khalil Mack. And the reason I say this is because he, yes, he's the man on the bridge defense. 
but he he didn't have a Khalil Mack season last year, and I think a big part of it had to do with like some of the injuries that were happening around him. I get King Diggs, like he received a lot more focus than he um normally would on the defensive front because a lot of his running mates were gone. Eddie Goldman was gone also. But I think Khalil Mack, now that everyone's back healthy, I think he's going to return to form. All right, so for me out of the AFC, I'm going Lamar Jackson. I have It's wild because I cannot think of another MVP winner within the last five to ten years who was like under so much scrutiny as Lamar Jackson. And don't get me wrong, some of it is is real some of it he does deserve but other than that it's just like people forget this man is only 24 years old and already has an MVP and has led his team to the playoffs every year he started and I just think that I overall I think he does get a bit of a bad rap but I do think that just in terms of Lamar I think that this has to be the year where he can quiet some of the doubters of course you know best case scenario with how far Baltimore has come like in the regular season in the playoffs you're thinking that the, you could look at like a Super Bowl or bust bus year, but at least if you just have to continue to get better if you're Lamar, you have to continue to, you know, show that you're improving and understanding the nuances of the game, particularly with regards to passing. And I think that if he's able to do that, he'll be able to shut a lot of people up, even though people are still going to feel some type of way and classify him as a running back. And then my proven year um, out of the NFC North, I'm going Kirk Cousins. I think that this is a year where they have a team – This is probably the best team that he's been on since he's been in the NFL, and he really has no excuses. This is the time for him to really produce and show why he deserves to be their starting quarterback, especially because they just drafted Kellen Mond, who has been playing pretty solid when he's been on the field. And I think that if you're Kirk Cousins, not only do you have him breathing down your neck, but you also have such a good team around you that you have to be able to produce. But all right, my rookie to watch, this is – Going to be a bit of an under-the-radar one, but this is wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown, fourth-round pick by the Detroit Lions. He's a guy who I love coming out of USC. I really wanted Baltimore to draft him, but the board fell differently, and I'm okay with that now. But I think that just looking at what the Lions have or for back, what they really don't have at wide receiver, if you look at it right now, they do not have an established number one wide out, which means that the ball should be bounced around to pretty much everyone. And Amon's Ra is one of those guys who can play the short game, the mid-range, middle game, and he can go for the deep ball. He has such an interesting skill set, and I think that he's really going to prove himself to be the best wide receiver on the Lions very early. Uh, for me, you know I got to go with Justin Fields. I think it's just one of those situations where it's inevitable that he's going to get the starting job sooner rather than later. And I think he's just in that position now to get acquainted with the offense and kind of get his lumps out of the way. So I got to go with Mr. Fields. All right. And so bold prediction, what you got? Bold prediction. Hmm. I'm going to go completely out of of pocket. My bold prediction is that the Vikings are going to ask to win the division. I'm actually in agreement with you, so we can just skip the division part because I actually have the Vikings winning too. Um, But my bold prediction was going to be that the Packers, even in the wild card, make it to the NFC Championship or are able to repair their relationship with Aaron Rodgers, prompting him to sign an extension. But, all right, so let's go ahead and look at this upcoming week of preseason games. Week two, um, as of right now, 
what four games have been played. Uh, we're recording this at Eastern Time, four thirty-four. So, what games so far this preseason, uh, or at least this week, are you looking forward to watching? Uh, if you want to look at the schedule, you can because I got my answer ready. Um, I think for me, I definitely would say I'm honestly gonna say the Titans and the Buccaneers because. I want to see how the Titans defense is going to hold up. I know Frank is not going to play, and I'm pretty sure a lot of the ones aren't going to play, but I think for the Titans to get to where they, they have these expectations lined up after acquiring Julio, then defense is going to have to step up. And why not put that to the test against one of the better offensive groups? I'm going to say the Ravens and Panthers. Um, One, Ravens are currently on the longest preseason winning streak. And I know wins don't really matter in the preseason, but that's a fun thing to look at. But also just want to see if the Ravens can capitalize on the performance last week. Had six turnovers against the Saints. Um, And, of course, you can make an argument that the Saints, you know, offense isn't really – there yet Alvin Kamara didn't play but I mean six turnovers is still a lot and I'm interested to see how our young guys perform such as Nodafe Away, uh, Dalen Hayes, um, Sean Wade other guys like that I want to see how they grow from where they were a week ago um, and then not to mention offensively Tyler Huntley I mean I don't know if you've ever seen Tyler Huntley but he literally looks like Lamar Jackson he gets on the field he has the same braids or similar braids he's a darker skinned cat like and he runs around like he looks like Lamar on the field he just has a different jersey and so I'm interested to see how he goes um Trace McSorley another guy who was in competition for our backup quarterback conversation um he's actually gonna be out for the rest of the preseason so I want to see what Huntley does with our offense but all right so let's go ahead and play this game of believable or buffoonery and we're going to start off Talking about some good old Andy Dalton and your Bears. So, apparently, uh, believe it or not, Andy Dalton must be a John Cena fan because he said, my time is now. He talk, When asked about Justin Fields and his development, he said, Justin Fields is going to have a great career, but right now it's my time. Believable or buffoonery, it really is Andy Dalton's time in Chicago. I actually... After watching him play, I'm going to hold some stock in there. I think it is. I think this is going to be one of them years where he he might actually hold on to the starting jobs throughout the remainder of the year. He's not going to have, like, a spectacular season. You know, I don't see him throwing, like, 30 touchdowns, anything crazy like that. But I can see him having, like, a 20 to 25 touchdown um anywhere between like 9 to 11 interception ratio type of deal and he and he gets like a good contract to go somewhere else yeah I'm calling believable on that too I mean we talked about it before you know the preseason really kicked off about how much playing time we really thought that Justin Fields was going to get and while I do think that he's going to get the opportunity to play some I really I don't know I think that 
they're really going to try to take the approach of just letting him sit back and learn for a while before really giving him the keys to the franchise, which I honestly, I'm not mad at them for. I think that so many teams are in a rush to get their rookies on the field that sometimes it's to their detriment. I mean, we saw that with Dwayne Haskins and Washington, and I know they don't want to do the same thing, especially because, let's be honest, quite a few people's jobs are on the line right now in Chicago. So I'm, in, I'm holding a grand to it. Um, I think that I could really see Andy and getting more time um, than people would expect under center for the Bears. But all right, we talked about Tim Tebow off the show, but it's official. He is cut. It seems that in Jacksonville, the tight end experiment is over. But that doesn't mean that he won't ever get a real opportunity. So believable or buffoonery, we will see Tim Tebow in the league again. Buffoonery. I think this is this was his last stint, and honestly, I think this is his best stint to make a roster, like he stated, when we were off the air, like, Urban Meyer is his guy, and if you're not able to make the team with the guy that, that's willing to back you the way that Urban Meyer is, I don't think he'll make it into the league ever again. Yeah, because, like, even when he first got signed, like, if Urban Meyer wanted to bring him in in, like, a capacity, like, a coach, or just something like that. Like, I thought that would have been a really good idea. I think it would have made a lot of sense because just he's such a great character guy. But when you're trying to sell everybody, oh, no, Tim Tebow's a tight end now, nobody's going to believe that. And so I think that if, like you said, if Urban Meyer isn't believing it, neither am I. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. So Mike Williams is a wide receiver for the Chargers who on some weeks – he looks great, and then other weeks it's like he's not even there. This past year he had 48 catches, 756, and five touchdowns. Problem is, though, after some talks of a contract extension, it doesn't look like the Chargers are going to be bringing him back. So believable or buffoonery, the Chargers are making a mistake by not extending Mike Williams. Um, I think they are. I think it is believable that they're making a mistake because Mike Williams – Yes, he's not a dynamic of a receiver, let's say like Keenan Allen, but he's a guy that paired great with Keenan Allen. I remember watching that game against the Saints, and towards the end of that game, Mike Mike Williams was making some of the most unbelievable catches I had ever seen. Like, I remember he made one where he literally, like, snagged on two moves in double coverage. And he, I think he made the game, I don't I can't remember if they won that play, but I remember him making like a really tough catch in the end zone towards the end of that game. And I think he's a guy that, like, he's a big body guy. I don't think you can just go out and find a guy to replace Mike Williams. Um, I'm, I'm going to call buffoonery on this one, mainly because while Mike Williams is a good player, he's very inconsistent. Like I said, he'll have games where it looks he looks like a superstar and other games where it's like he didn't even know he was on the field. And I think that for – um, Justin Herbert in this offense. I think they really want to build around more consistent players. And let's be honest, with the going rate of wide receivers right now, who's to say you want to pay him all that money? And so I don't really think it's a mistake just because I think you can find guys who do the same things that Mike Williams does or at least can be, you know, coached up into doing it um, and not have to spend as much money on them. Uh, you can look at this upcoming receiving class, which has some talented players or things like that. I'm just I'm not that sold on Mike Williams, so I don't think it'll be that big of a loss. Um, but talking about being sold on things, C.J. Mosley, who was signed to the Jets, what, two years ago? 
is finally playing his first season with the team, opted out because of COVID last year, and then was hurt and missed the whole season his first year. But that doesn't mean anything. He has high hopes for his new team and says, if people come out with the same mentality that these are the same old Jets, they're going to get their ass blown out. So, believable or buffoonery, we need to put some respect on the Jets' name. Um, it's funny you mentioned CJ Mother because I literally just saw him get ran over by AJ Dillon. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, the Jets. they are playing the Packers right now. I forgot. But uh, this is buffoonery. I think I think they'll be a better team than they've been in the past. But I don't I don't see it being one of those like drastically like zero in the first type of deals. I think they have some good pieces. Zach Wilson has looked Calling buffoonery on that too. I just think that while they have overall, I think that this year's roster is much better than it's been in in years. It's still gonna take some time for them to actually be taken seriously, just because they haven't done anything. Like you mentioned, um, Zach Wilson has looked pretty solid. You know, C.J. Mosley can come in and really have a big impact. Yada yada yada. But the real question is, can you make all those pieces work? And if the answer to that is no, nothing much is really going to happen with this team. So, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery. But, all right, Aaron Rodgers was asked about this upcoming season with the Packers and said this, I don't want a farewell tour. I don't know what's going to happen after this season, but I'm going to enjoy it with the right perspective. Believable or buffoonery, the Green Bay Packers should treat this season like a farewell tour for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think, don't get me wrong, while I think that uh, reconciliation could take place, if I'm the Packers, you you don't really have the luxury of playing with Aaron Rodgers. And when I say that, I mean, like, you can't treat this like, oh, he's just talking stuff. Like, I think you have to take him seriously in terms of, no, like, he really could leave. And I think that if he stays, that's amazing. It helps out the team for the next few years. But realistically, I mean, you just have to look at it like this could go wrong. Aaron Rodgers could be on his way out. And so if I'm the Packers, that's how I'm looking at it. Like, I'm not saying every week is a celebration or, like, going all theatrical. But I think that behind the scenes, I would be preparing for an preparing myself for the possibility of him walking out. All right, so talking about the uh, NFC North, my main man, Jay Jettas, last year's top rookie wide receiver, has been in a lot of conversations lately and has a lot of expectations put on him. In fact, senior writer Pete Prisco for CBS Sports said, by the end of the season, Justin Jefferson will be the best receiver in the NFL. Believable or buffoonery, Justin Jefferson is on the cusp of being the league's top wideout. DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, um, 
Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that too. And I love me some Justin Jefferson, believe me. But it's one thing to really catch a catch defenses off guard as a rookie and a whole other thing to do it again. And while I love me some Jay Jettas, Bayou Bangle, all that jazz, no matter who you are, you got to do it more than once. Anybody can be a one-hit wonder. It takes a real star to do it another year, especially when more eyes are going to be on you. So I think that's really going to be the test for Justin Jefferson this upcoming year. But, of course, as a fan of his, I want to see him ball out. But I'm not going to go that far just yet. All right, so let's talk about another receiver who was drafted by the Bears before you were a Bears fan. Kevin White was a seventh-round pick in, what, 2014? Just few, no, was it 2014? He was a seventh, their seventh overall pick a few years ago in 2015. Boom, there we go. But he has bounced around a bit, has struggled to stay healthy. It has not been great for him. Another thing that's not great is the new – Orleans Saints wide receiving group, especially with Michael Thomas expected to be out at least for the first part of the season. So these two collaborated. They are now together. So believable or buffoonery. This could be just what Kevin White needs to reignite his career. I think it's a belief behind it. I know that he when he was drafted, he was a he was a premier um target at wide receiver. I believe he came out of what West Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, West Virginia. And yeah, I remember he was a good, he was a good player. I think, like you said, he his biggest thing was like he could never stay healthy. He had a lot of injury playing seasons. I think if he's able to stay healthy, then he's actually in a position to where he could be on a team that will properly utilize him. Like we know Sean Payton, he knows how to get people open and. If he's able to stay there, get there, get healthy, and just buy into their system, I think he can put up some pretty decent numbers. Yeah, I right now, I'm going to say believable, mainly because who else are you really going to throw the ball to? Like with Michael Thomas out, um, Callaway has been looking pretty solid. Traquan Smith has been up and down in his career. Uh, Lil Jordan Humphrey is another guy who you don't really know what you have, and so – for lack, just because you lack really a guy who you trust to be a number one, I think that that can really open things up for Kevin White. So I do see some belief to it. All right, so these next two, they're not believable or buffoonery, but the first one is who would you rather pay? And then the next, and then it's who would you rather sign? So it was announced earlier this week that um, my main man, quote-unquote blitz boy, Jamal Adams assigned his extension with the Seattle Seahawks four-year $70 million, making him the highest-paid uh, safety in the league. This was something that was taking, taking note of. Uh, Tyron Matthew of the Kansas City Chiefs noticed this, and after seeing the deal, um, it was he tweeted out that the dis- disrespect was noted, potentially from the Chiefs front office or whoever. Who knows? He didn't specify there's another special tight end, I mean, not tight end, safety in the league who is also having some contract discussions, and that is Jesse Bates of the Cincinnati Bengals, who was reported last week that they really could not come to terms on an extension. Jesse Bates took it in stride, though, and said, I guess I just haven't done enough to prove I'm one of the league's best tight ends and plan to work on it this year. So if you are a front office, Ethan, who would you give a better contract to, Tyron Matthew or Jesse Bates? And the reason I'm saying this is because Tyron Matthews is 29 years old. 
he's about to be become 30 and like even though he is an amazing player and we do know that players in today's NFL tend to play longer than they have in previous years but playing safety at 30 at 30 plus years old like it it's a question of longevity like Tyron Matthews already a smaller safety as he is. And he's also one of those guys that loves to bring his body around. Who's to say you give, like Tyron Matthew, we can hear, we can look up in a year or two from now, and he's retired, simply because like he's physically not able to withstand the punishment they call him for sport. And you have Jesse Bates, who's 24 years old, who you can give the money to, and you can also have like, you can build him up for the future to get into a position to where, like, a Tyra Matthew is once he hits that same, same age range. This, this is tough because age is, you know, certainly a factor with this, but I think something else that probably, I don't know. Like, I would go Tyron Matthew mainly just because overall impact. Uh, we talked about it a while ago when we were doing our safety ra- safety rankings, but just the guys in the league who bring not just energy, you know, on the field by making big plays, but also just to their team. When they're on the field, they make a difference. People know that they are there and they are excited to see what they're going to do. And Tyron Matthews, one of those guys, especially with what he's done with the Chiefs so far, like he's been a great player throughout his career. I mean, his years with the Cardinals were great. When he was in Houston for that year, he was good. And so overall, he's just had a really great career and has really just been a spark plug for whatever team he's been on. And while Jesse Bates is younger and Jesse Bates can do a lot of different things, I think that I would go with Tyron just because he just impacts the game more than just making solid plays. Because we talk about it all the time, but you take Tyron Matthew out of that Chiefs defense and it's a completely different unit. Whereas with or without Jesse Bates, the Chief, I mean, the Bengals defense is still the Bengals defense, and that's not necessarily a compliment. So I would go uh, Tyron Matthew. But all right, so another thing we talked about a while ago was Chad Ochocinco, a.k.a. Chad Johnson, who pretty much asked, shot his shot with the Saints and asked him to sign him to a deal he wanted to play or at least until um, Michael Thomas got hurt. And then it led to some good conversations about if we should give him a shot. Well, another NFL star wide receiver and now Hall of Famer Terrell Owens was asked about the chance to play in the NFL and said, given the opportunity, would I play again? Absolutely. So, Ethan, if you're a team and you had to sign one of these guys, who you signing, Terrell Owens or Chad Johnson? Um, this is tough simply because I think I, I don't think neither one would make a really big impact on whatever team signs them. Because I think they, yes, for their age, respectively, they're in tremendous shape. They're some of the better athletes at their respective ages. But I think, given the fact that they'll be going up against guys that's like 20 years younger than them, they won't be great overall. 
Yeah, I would probably go T.O. as well. Like you said, he's a bigger body, and I think that that size could make a difference. I think that he could be – I'll say this. With Chad Johnson, I don't really see him being necessarily a red zone threat. I think that he would have to be one of those cats who you, you would kind of expect to stress the field. And like we mentioned, like at their ages, I don't necessarily know if he could do that. Whereas if you can out-muscle out somebody – you can get a touchdown in the red zone. I think that even though, you know, he's much older than the guys he'd be going up against, T.O. still has that size mismatch. So I would go ahead and give it to him. But, all right, let's move on to the NBA. Let's talk some of those um, NBA trades that took place. Now, first, it was the Los Angeles Clippers traded Patrick Beverly, Rajon Rondo, and Daniel Aturo to the Memphis Grizzlies for Eric Bledsoe. So that was what it was, and then everybody thought that they were done. Then shortly thereafter, another trade was made because the Memphis Grizzlies traded Patrick Beverly to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Jared Culver, former sixth overall pick, and Ancho Hernan Gomez. So let's start things off from a Grizzlies perspective. What are the Grizzlies trying to do? and what does he really bring to that team? So 
to that I mean he de- they definitely need that toughness I just think for Pat Bell I don't know it's probably going to be a bit frustrating being in uh, Minnesota surrounded by all of those young guys especially coming from the Clippers who you just played with Kawhi for the past couple of years and Paul George that was such a veteran led roster to go into such a young roster I think it's going to be a major shift for him but we'll see how it goes I think that they also want to bring in a veteran presence you know after trading Ricky Rubio I think that this is really going to be a big uh, really just a way to like replace it and just get tougher on defense. But all right, let's go ahead and move on and talk about another Eastern Conference team. Pascal Siakam and the Toronto Raptors. Now, Siakam was a player whose name was bounced around quite a bit with regards to potential trades, but it never really matriculated to anything. And as of now, the Raptors are reportedly no longer shopping Pascal Siakam. Uh, GM uh, Masai said that they're not going to shop him, and Siakam still wants to be in Toronto. Do you think that Toronto is making a mistake by not trading Pascal or that they're doing the right thing. Um, I think they're doing the right thing because Pascal Siakam is still young. He's a guy that you can still build a team around, and he, he, I think he's proven that he's willing to put in the work. So I know it's easy to go ahead and say, just say like, let's trade him while we can. But he's also one of those situations where, like, let's say you trade him for some assets, and you trade him, and the assets don't work out. But you still have Pascal Siakam, who's still a general young guy that can still improve his game and growth. Yeah, I agree. I think that right now, the Raptors are kind of in that position to where if they would have traded Pascal, I think that this would really just show that they're going through a rebuilding period. Right now, I mean, their roster still looks. I'm not going to say formidable, but they look like they could still be interesting. They just gave Gary Trent the big contract extension. Uh, Fred Van Vliet is still under tow. They just drafted Scotty Barnes. Overall, they don't necessarily have a bad roster. And I think that with Pascal there, it's kind of like that situation we mentioned earlier, but you're really getting an opportunity to see what you have and trying to make the most of it. But, all right, the NBA released its overall schedule. But, of course, the biggest games are always opening week. And Christmas games. So here are the opening week games of the week. Opening night, uh, here are just a few on TNT. It's going to be the Nets versus the Bucks, and then the Warriors versus the Lakers. And then continuing on TNT, uh, October 21st is going to be the Mavs versus the Hawks. And then the Clippers are going to be taking on the Warriors. So of the opening week games that we really know, which one are you most excited for? The Nets and the Bucks. You have a fully healthy book squad going up against a fully healthy net squad in the rematch of the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think it's one of those games where, like, these playoffs might have built some bad blood between the two teams. Like, we know that literally the Bulls were a few inches away from of KD's foot from winning the Eastern Conference Finals and making it to the Finals. So I think those type of games are always the best kind of games going looking forward. That's fair. Um, just I'm gonna go. I I 
I hate to say it, but I think that a healthy Nets team is going to, like, handle that game pretty decisively. So I'm going to go in a different route. I'm going to say the Warriors versus the Lakers. Here we have the Warriors who they've made no bones about it. They want to get back to the top of the league. They want to go get another championship. And then you have a team like the Lakers who are also trying to get a championship, but they're doing it in a different way. While the Warriors are really trying to build from within and continue with what they've had and what's been working for them the last 10 years, the Lakers have pretty much got a brand new roster. And of course, people are going to give them flack about them being an older team, but I'm interested to see how these new pieces merged together for both the Lakers but also the Warriors. Um, Clay's not necessarily going to be back yet. They said he won't be back until Christmas, so it's still going to be time till then. But overall, I'm excited to see just two very different organizations going against each other, but how it how they look and also how it really kicks things off for the season. All right, let's talk the Christmas games. It's going to be the Hawks versus the Knicks, Celtics versus Bucks, Suns versus Warriors, Nets versus Lakers, and Mavs versus Jazz. Which Christmas game are you most looking forward to? The Knicks versus Lakers. I think this is going to be one of those situations where if everyone's healthy, they're going to be maybe two teams that everyone thinks are the best teams in their respective divisions. Like, the Lakers, I don't, on paper, I don't really see. If everything can work out properly, I thought we would see another team being more talented than them. We obviously know that the Knicks were the most talented team in the Eastern Conference last year when healthy. And also, it's just a lot of side narratives like KD versus LeBron, Russ playing against KD again. Um, you know, like James Harden, I mean LeBron and Kyrie, James Harden and Russ, it's a whole lot of yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting game. I'm going to go in a different direction. Though. I'm going to say Knicks versus Hawks. Um, you can want to make an argument that, you know, the Hawks pulled off a big first-round upset over the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. And I think that I'm excited to see where two teams that honestly outperformed what many thought they would do last season. I want to see how they're going to do it under the bright lights, particularly Trey Young, who we saw that when the light was on bright, he balled out at Madison Square Garden, became the villain um, that, honestly, the team needed him to be because he really stepped up his play. And so overall, I'm excited to see how that all shakes out. And really, like I said, we don't really know where they'll, either of those teams are going to be at those positions, whereas like with the Lakers and the Nets, we know they're going to be competitive. But for the Knicks and the Hawks, it's uh, going to be a different thing. But I'm not, I don't think it's going to be a bad thing. I think it'll just be exciting to see these young teams go at it. But all right, so... Like usual, uh, just a few weeks ago, we trashed Madden for their worst uh, ratings. And so now we're going to do the same thing for NBA 2K22. Uh, this past week, player ratings were revealed, and not all of them are great. So what we're going to do is give our top five rate, worst ratings, and we are going to fix them. So, Ethan, do you want me to go first, or do you want to go? All right, I'm just going to do this lightning round. Chris Paul at number five was a 90, I mean, was an 89. I call cap on that, especially because, like, in the regular season, he was easily one of the top point guards in the league, had a major impact on his team. I would boost him up to a 92. 
Um, Kevin Durant was a ninety is listed as a ninety six. I know two K doesn't want to give like players in the league a ninety nine, but I think that in the case of KD, you can make an exception. Number three, Bradley Beal being an eighty nine. I just think that the days of him being an eighty nine and freaking two K are over. He's he's much better than that. I like at the very least give this man a ninety. I said ninety one, but even that could be higher. Two, Trey Young being an eighty nine. Come on now. Like, if you just wanted to base it off the regular season, okay, sure. But the playoffs showed that Trey Young deserved to be higher. I will put him at 93. And then number one, Russell Westbrook is at 88. And you can call me being biased right now. But that's disrespectful. I will put him at a 92. I said Russ was another one that I thought should have been higher. Dame was a 94, I think. I'd agree with that too. recently about like if Steph really should have been MVP and it's like no like he was great but he really kicked off towards the end of the season and if he wasn't going MVP off of what he did last year the dang the year before what you can make an argument was even better than Steph was should have been the MVP conversation even though his team had a low rating and Dame's just been doing it on a more consistent basis than Steph lately I know Steph has been hurt but yeah, I would agree with you as far as Dame on that one. But all right, Summer League. We really haven't talked about the Summer League much, but it is also always a great opportunity to see what these rookies can do um, with their first taste of NBA action. And after the season, um, the Sacramento Kings Summer League team were deemed Summer League champs, um, and the co-MVPs were given out. First of which was Davion Mitchell. Uh, 
He won the championship, like I said, averaged 10.8 points per game, 5.8 assists, 47% from three, as well as was a lockdown defender. Another player named as co-MVP was Cam Thomas of the Brooklyn Nets, led the summer league in scoring with 27 points per game. Now, between Davion Mitchell and Cam Thomas, which one do you think is going to have the better rookie year? with the 76ers. I'm sure there's no doubt that he deserved the money, but now the real question becomes, what is it going to take for the 76ers and Embiid to get a ring during this contract? Just pair them up with a lot of 
Jews. And maybe if you can't keep Tobias Harris and have Tobias Harris play the fourth, because he could be a third option that necessarily is in the age superstar level now. I'm in agreement with you as far as like you gotta get shooters. Even if it's not Dane, it has to be somebody who can carry their weight offensively, who is gonna be aggressive and not afraid to shoot pretty much everything that uh, Ben Simmons was not. And once again, this isn't to say that Ben Simmons was terrible or Ben Simmons like has no reason to be in the league, but if we're being honest, he's just offensively you cannot really thrive with him, especially in those key moments. It can't just be Joel and be carrying the offensive load. Somebody else has to help him out. And if your second best player isn't doing that, then clearly it's a problem. So yeah, everything you just said, I agree with wholeheartedly. But if we're talking shooters, one of the best to be in the league within the past 15, 20 years is JJ Reddick, who said he's taking his time in free agency. He said, I won't be in training camp to start the season. I'll join the team at some point this season and finish the year and try to go get a chip. So, believable or buffoonery, J.J. Reddick is making the right move by being patient with signing with the team. I thought he got traded to the Mavericks. Mm, he's a free agent. He's a free Pretended it didn't happen. Bob Myers then tried to discipline you like you put a mask over everything. We had to get that shit out. And then Draymond added, I told them then and there, this was y'all about to mess this up. The only person that can make this right is me and Kay. And in my opinion, they messed it up. So, believable or buffoonery, the Warriors front office is to blame for the Kevin Durant and Golden State divorce. Yeah, I think so. Friends off the court. Like they are close. And 
it's one of those situations where it was like, you know, if you play a sport, you're going to have moments where you're going to get in the spans with the teammates or people that you're cool with. And, and like, you have to let them ride out and play. I think the fact that they at the front office, you know, let the media take a hold of it and kind of run with it and create this whole narrative that might not have been true. And then kind of like forcing me to where Draymond is like, he was the bad guy. I definitely think that they played a huge part in the reason why everything went the way that it went. I think that that also played a role. I think that, admittedly, I'm still kind of under the... I think that KD's ego kind of went with it as well, mainly because he was in a situation where no matter what he did, it was never going to be his team. Like, you, he could put up the best numbers in the world, but everybody knows that when you think of Golden State, you think of Steph Curry. And I think that when you're a player like KD, who is putting up these great numbers, I think that you want that recognition. I want the, you... I think that you would want the team to really be behind you, and you're not really getting that um, in Golden State just because it's Steph. And if they had to pick between you and Steph, they're going to pick Steph every time. So while I do think that the front office did play a role, I think that also KD wanted to be in a situation where he would be the guy and everyone knew he was the guy. But right, let's go ahead, Move talking about teams that know they have their guy. The Pelicans and Zion Williamson are in a bit of a state of flux going into his third year, but that doesn't mean that the potential is that not there. The BDS podcast talked about the combination of B.I. and Zion Williamson and said this, Brandon Ingram was putting up a smooth 26-6-4 as he became an all-star in 2020. His rhythm and usage changed when Zion came back. Pelicans need to tap into that duo, create some order, kind of like Giannis and Chris Middleton. So, believable or buffoonery. Zion Williamson and Chris Middleton have, I mean, Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram have potential to be as good of a duo as Giannis and Chris Middleton and bring a championship to New Orleans. He, he, he was one of my favorite players on the Memphis 
you on both sides so pretty much took the words out of my mouth all right now let's talk about a city that really does not give much love but the detroit i mean the lions haven't done much in the past 50 years but the same can't be said for the pistons they were a championship team 18 years ago and almost could have done it again in fact it seemed like they could have been in a position to do just that. Talking about Carmelo Anthony, um, he was on the All the Smoke podcast and talked about the Pistons passing on him in the 2003 draft. He said, I think we go back to back if I'm there. I still think about that shit to this day. He also mentioned that the Pistons had promised to take him if he was there. He said, that changed the course of my career, them not taking him, and because instead they took someone else so believable or buffoonery had Carmelo Anthony been drafted to the Pistons they would have gone back to back I think it's believable because I think you would have put Carmelo in a veteran heavy locker room they would have been able to kind of reel him together because one of the big things that was going on with Carmelo in his early career is like he kind of was just giving the ability to do what he wanted to do. Yeah. He didn't really have a pecking order. He didn't, like, he didn't have people to hold him accountable. But if you put him in a locker room with, you know, Rasheed Wallace, Chauncey Billups, Ben Wallace, um, Real Hamilton, and Tayshaun Prince, you would, he would have been around a lot of guys that would have held him accountable. And he also would have added probably the one thing that, that they needed. In, in my opinion, which is like a dynamic score. Because we both know that Ben Pistons team was great defensively, but they were winning games like 82 to 80. Yeah. And, like, if you would have thrown Melo in there, he would have been average. If he would have averaged just 19 points, yeah. that would have put them over the top. Right. So I definitely agree with it. Yeah, I agree with it too, especially because, I mean, looking back at that time, um, they were one of the best teams, if not the best team in the Eastern Conference because of that great defense. So if you add in a player like Melo and then you look at what happened with L.A. with the relationship between uh, Shaq and Kobe disintegrating, that created even more opportunities there throughout the league to win a championship. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think it is believable. Kind of keeping in that time. If we're talking about the 2000s Pistons, yes, they did win the championship, but we also got to talk about the malice in the palace. I don't know if you've watched the documentary yet. Um, if not, definitely watch it. And that goes for, like, all of our listeners, too. It's on Netflix. It's worth the watch. It's, like, a little bit over an hour. But it gives a really great in-depth view at the malice in the palace. And if you don't know what it is, go look it up. Anyway, so one thing that 
honestly, I learn about is Isaiah Thomas prior to um, the Pacers hiring. Um, oh my gosh, I just had his name. Ryan. Oh my gosh, my brain is off. Rick Carlisle, I'm sorry. As their head coach, he was the coach for the Pacers for some time and left shortly before the malice in the palace took place. In addition to being a coach, we all know that Isaiah Thomas is probably, no, not probably. He's the greatest Detroit Piston to ever live and had much respect from the team. When talking about his time with the Pacers and the Malice in the Palace, he said this, I don't believe there would have been the Malice in the Palace because I don't believe the Pistons fans would have acted that way with me coaching that team. So, believable or buffoonery, had IT been the Pacers coach, that Malice in the Palace does not happen. Yeah, I think it would have to. I, I was wrestling back and forth because, yeah, like, you have respect. But then looking back, I mean, it had nothing to do with the coaching staff. There was an intense game, and players just – players were already hopped up. They were ready to get on something. And then the fans, of course, they were living off the players, especially Ben Wallace and his intensity. And then let's be honest, fans are going to do stupid stuff. So I don't think just because IT was there that anything would have changed – um, so, yeah, no, I'm calling buffoonery on that, too. All right, so taking it back, fast forward to the Pistons that we see now. As we all know, they drafted Kay Cunningham first overall, hoping that he can bring them back to relevancy. And let's be honest, Jalen Green, the second overall pick, felt some type of way. During the summer league, he mentioned that he felt he should have been the first overall pick. But as far as location, he didn't want to be in Detroit. He said, there are not many things you can do in Detroit like that. You're going to stay in the gym and then go back to your apartment. So believable or buffoonery, uh, the Pistons not taking Jalen Green made him pretty salty, and it's not really all about the location. Because let's be honest, if you go first overall, you're not going to care where you get, where the city is. you still the first overall pick. You're going to be remembered as the first overall pick. And there's a monetary value to that, as well as just in terms of history. 
And so I think that he's saying that just because he's still salty about it. But yeah, like, dude, move on. Nothing you say is going to magically make you the first overall pick. Like you said, just let your play do the talking. And then in terms of maturity, I think that I would agree with you about, you know, Cade. He mentioned during the draft that, like, once you have a kid and you're a teenage dad, you mature very quickly. And I think that for the Pistons, having a player like that definitely was – um, the right move for them, especially just because this is not an easy fix. This is not a team that really is in contention. You don't look at them and think that they're going to be a playoff team. They're a slow build, and you want somebody who is mature enough to handle that. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think they made the right choice. But, all right, last piece before we move on, SummerSlam predictions and all that jazz. We got to talk Bron Bron. Now, in the annual vote, um, in terms that the uh, NBA does with league executives and scouts, they're always asked a simple question of who was the best player in the NBA? And it turns out LeBron James received no votes. His response, hashtag super washed with the trash bin emoji, and then said, thank you, as if I didn't need more to gas me up, hashtag washed king. So, believable or buffoonery, NBA execs were right not to vote LeBron as the best player in the league. Yeah, I agree. If not for any other reason, but just because, like, the age thing and just because I, th- I look at it like while LeBron is a known commodity, everybody knows who LeBron is, everybody knows that LeBron is amazing. If you continue, if you're the NBA and you continue to rest on LeBron is the best, one, that doesn't make business sense because whenever he does retire, you're essentially saying nobody is ever going to be better than LeBron, and so the league is going to suffer. And then another thing is you're not giving opportunities or recognizing the greatness that's taking place in front of you. KD looks amazing. Giannis has so much potential. Luka is another guy who has a lot of potential. And so while we all know that LeBron James is amazing, he's one of the best to ever do it, I don't I don't see an issue with him not being considered or at least not being voted as the best player in the league cuz basing it off last year he was not the best player. There was I'm not going to say several, but there are a few other guys who if you made me pick between the year that they had and what LeBron had, I would take them easily. Not to mention you're coming off of an injury. You already said that you'll never go back to being 100%. These are not things that people want to hear from a 37-year-old, regardless of who you are. So, yeah, no, I don't really have a problem with the NBA saying that about LeBron. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk some WWE. All right, X-Report Wrestling fans, it's SummerSlam weekend, so you know what that means. You know what time it is. It is time for predictions, and because it is both SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver, you guys know me. You know I can get a bit long-winded with my explanations and opinions, so I'm going to try 
my actual best to make this go by fairly quickly, especially because, I mean, it's been a long show. We talked about a lot of stuff. So let's go ahead and kick things off. Starting off with Alexa Bliss versus Eva Marie. Honestly, while it seems like this would be an easy choice to like do some sort of trickery and sorcery and tomfoolery to make Alexa Bliss like win pretty decisively, I could also see this being a match where somehow Eva Marie finds a way to pull it out and uses Piper Niven, aka Dewdrop. I'm sorry, I think I'm getting more accustomed to the whole Dewdrop thing, so maybe next time I'll I'll just call her that. But I think that she'll be able to use her to like will herself to a victory that is my i guess not even out of the box that's just my cynical side thinking um just to kind of keep eva marie as like this untouchable force in the sense of like she doesn't really do much in the ring but somehow she still reaps the benefits of winning which is kind of wild but yeah i think alexa bliss ends up with the win just because i don't think they overthink it too much but if the other thing happens I would not be surprised at all. Our United States Championship match, Sheamus versus Damian Priest. I mean, it's been a cool run with Sheamus, uh, especially when he first got the belt. I mean, he really went against guys who, I mean, didn't really get much TV time. Really was a big proponent in Ricochet coming back, Humberto Carrillo, um, just to name a couple of guys. But I think that it's time for Damian Priest to really get a belt. Um, in terms of really competing for the WWE Championship, I don't know if that's going to be in the cards for him, but I think that he could be a really nice mid-card champion. So I got Damian Priest. Uh, Drew McIntyre versus Jinder Mahal. I mean, this is Jinder's first big feud back in years. I, I actually can't say the last time he actually had a legitimate feud. It was on TV significantly. Honestly, I have no clue. But I think that I'm going gender mainly because I feel like he's not going to defeat Drew McIntyre clean. I think that it's going to be one of those matches where the rules say that, you know, uh, his lackeys can't be at ringside, but somehow they find a way to make it happen. Mainly because I think that they want to find a way to extend it and somehow implement the sword in some way. So, hey, extreme rules, which I'm going to, you could do that. Also, I mean, just what else are you really going to have Drew do? I mean, the draft isn't until, I think, October now, and you're not going to have him face whoever wins the WWE Championship when I get to in a minute. So I just think that it's cool having Drew do different things, especially, like, as a face against someone who is so clearly a heel that just has no fan love whatsoever. And so I think that, at least for me, I think it's a pretty easy decision to have gender win. Of course, he doesn't win clean. Uh, moving on to the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. Uh, I got the Usos retaining. Not much really to say here. I think that the bloodline continues. And while the Mysterios are also a great bloodline in their own right, I think that with the Usos, they elevate the tag titles more. And I feel, feel like you can do more with them, especially with the return of you know the Street Profits, with Montez Ford getting back healthy, and just any other tag teams you want to implement it with. Whereas with the Mysterios, it's kind of like, how much further can you really go? Uh, Raw Tag Team Championship. This is where I see RK Bro winning it. Um, one, first things first, like, I'm so happy to see Randy Orton back because even though he just looks like he just does not give a damn, I love him. I've loved Randy Orton for a long time, and the dynamic of him and Matt Riddle has been great. Do I like it as much as the Broser weights? I cannot. I don't know because y'all know I love me some Pete Dunn. But 
It's getting up there. And I think RK Bro was a really nice tag team. Plus, I mean, AJ Styles and almost kind of like I was saying with the Mysterios, how much further can you really take this? Like, I just think that it's about time for a new, um, hmm, trying to go say, a new energy within the tag team division and also just something fun to do. You know, I just think it'd be fun to see them as champions, fun to see their interact interactions. And, of course, even more fun to see them have matches against each other because I feel like Randy Orton and Matt Riddle are going to put on some bangers. As I don't know if I can say the same for AJ and almost like going against each other, but, I mean, it's about time they go back there. They're separate ways. All right, WWE Championship, Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg. I'm not picking Goldberg to win anything. I don't care if every sign says he's going to win, even though I don't think that's the case this time. I'm going Bobby Lashley. Edge versus Seth Rollins. Now, this may be my the men's match actually no not men this is the men's match that i am most looking forward to for SummerSlam. um i think that edge has really come in and really diversified his playbook a little bit like i think that what we're seeing from edge is better than what we've seen from him you know the last time he was in the ring 10 plus years ago and I, it's really exciting to see his growth and evolution despite being almost 50 years old. And then Seth Rollins, I mean, is just one of the best in the business. I mean, he is, he's a, he's drip. He dripped out, you know, between him and Johnny Drip Drip. It's really tough to pick who's the drippiest. But Seth Rollins is definitely doing his thing on SmackDown. Plus, like I mentioned, he's a great wrestler. Um, he's an amazing heel. And, yeah, so it's definitely like the men's match of the week. Well, at least I take that back. Of WWE that I'm most looking forward to. But in terms of who I think is going to win, I'm going to say Seth Rollins. I think he needs it more. While it's really no shame in saying that you lost to Edge, I just think that with what's going on recently with Seth Rollins, like he really, Cesaro feud, he pretty much lost that. Hasn't been the title picture in a while. Not saying he should instantly be implemented in it, but I do think that in terms of who needs it more, I think Seth Rollins. Um, in a recent interview, Edge talked about his character is like, you can't kill Edge. Edge is going to be Edge forever. And I would agree with that. And I think that Seth Rollins is also like in that stratosphere of just being one of those like untouchable characters in the sense of everybody knows that Seth Rollins is the man, even if he doesn't have a championship. But I do think that just kind of to legitimize him even more especially as someone who could be seen as a title contender i think that this is a big one that he should use and i think that edge once again kind of similar to what i said with gender and drew like he doesn't have to beat edge clean if he does beat edge clean that could definitely be like a great you know selling point for him but i mean it's something that could propel this feud for a while because realistically outside of going against each other i don't really know who they would face because I don't think that either of them would really jump to face Roman. Um, and then who else on SmackDown? Maybe Big E, but it looks like Big E and Baron Corbin are going to be doing something. Maybe by the time I record this, they add this to the pre-show or something. I don't know. I'm recording this um, at 1.22 a.m. on Friday. So this is before SmackDown. So if anything else happens, I didn't know. I can't tell the future, um, despite my name. But yeah, I'm going Seth Rollins. Uh, next up, Raw Women's Championship, Nikki... A.S.H. defending her title against Charlotte and Rhea Ripley. The Nikki A.S.H. experiment has been cute, but you know, cute next to gorgeous. Gorgeous is going to devour cute every time. And in this situation, you have two gorgeous options in the sense of Charlotte, who we all know is an accomplished champion, 
most decorated women's wrestler in WWE history. And if you ask me, she truly is the queen. I would argue all day that she is the greatest woman to step foot in the ring. But more importantly, to this right now, she gets legitimate fan heat. Fans on the whole do not like her for things that she really can't control. But then again, if fans hate you and you're a heel, that means you're doing your freaking job. So screw them. If she got to put the middle finger to the fans like she did at Money in the Bank after she put on a banger with Rhea Ripley, I'll take that every day. And then another, and then the other Gord just option, Rhea Ripley. I think that Rhea Ripley, I'm not gonna say she got a raw deal as Raw Women's Champion because she was a solid champion. I just think that, um, I think that she would really benefit from being champion again and like getting more opportunities to face the rest of the roster because most of her time as champion really was spent Rhea, I'm sorry, not Rhea, Asuka. And then it was just Charlotte for a few months. While it was, they put on great matches. Like I said, I think that match at Money in the Bank probably is my favorite Raw slash SmackDown match of the year so far. Like, they, it would be cool to see her as champion again and, like, really get to face new opponents. Um, with that being said, I could totally be wrong with this and Nikki A.S.H. retains, but I'm not, I'm not buying that stock too heavily. I'm going to say Charlotte. And the main reason why I think that Charlotte is going to win, and no, it does not have to do with my fear of not picking Charlotte at pay-per-views because it seems every time I don't, she wins. Um, but I just think that, I, I, you know me, I try to stay away from the rumors and the blogs because I find all that annoying. I like, I like finding out things as it happens. I don't want the spoilers. And I think that everybody and their mother who is a Becky Lynch fan is like banging the drum and clamoring for Becky Lynch to come back. Who better for Becky Lynch to come back against than Charlotte, who has been talking crap about her whenever fans said that we want Becky, Charlotte always has a retort. Like, and I understand the argument for her to go smack down because her and Seth, but realistically, in terms of storylines, I think that she and Charlotte make the most sense. And if you really want to get that heel heat and that fan support, and if you want to get a big pop, have her come back against Charlotte, beat Charlotte up. If you guys don't remember, reminiscing of three years ago, triple threat for the SmackDown Women's Championship with Charlotte, Carmella, and Becky. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And honestly, I think that plays a big role in why Charlotte wins, unfortunately. Or not unfortunately, I don't want her to be champion, but unfortunately it's like why she's going to lose the championship. Carry on. Next up, SmackDown Women's Championship, Bianca Belair defending her title against Sasha Banks. Now this is, I'm saying this with the belief that the match is still going to take place. Um, apparently they haven't done live shows, but until they say the match is not taking place, I'm going with the assumption that match is going to take place. And truthfully, of the card, this is probably the hardest match I've had to predict. Main reason being, while Bianca Belair has been an amazing champion um, with what they've given her, and I think that her ability and her talent really kind of transcends WWE right now. Like, she has potential to be so freaking big because I've seen her everywhere since she's been champion. Who's to say that Sasha won't come in and by all means cheat? Who's to say that with her new girl crew of Carmella and Zelina Vega, they won't cost her? Maybe she promised each of them a championship match if they help her win. And I just think that between these two, it's not finished. Regardless of who wins, it's going to be a rematch. Hopefully Extreme Rules, like I said, because I'm going. Um, but with that being said... I have Bianca winning, but I think 
it's going to be like by disqualification. I don't think it's like a very clean Bianca dominates Sasha or dominates uh, Sasha in the sense of there's no doubt that she didn't win. Like, I feel like she ends up getting this. She wins by disqualification. I feel she ends up getting jumped. And I don't think it's going to be a clean finish. And with the not having a clean finish, of course, that sets up another match, um, which like kind of prolongs this, which I'm perfectly fine with because both of them are great. And I like their chemistry together. So, yeah, I would definitely – this one is tough. And I could have argued, you know, same thing for Sasha Banks winning um, but by disqualification but not walking out with the belt. But I think I'm going to stick with the Bianca route, and it extends to at least extreme rules. All right, and then finally, main event. The Universal Championship, we got Roman Reigns defending his title against John Cena. I know what I want. I know what I need. I just hope that me and WWE are on the same page. Because, you know, this year has probably been better in terms of, like, us being on the same page. And that means that Roman should and needs to win. Like, I will say this. This John Cena return is a lot less painless than the ones in the past few years I will say that definitively but also there is no reason for him to be champion he's going straight back to Hollywood he's going straight back to work he's not going to be here full-time and I'm sick of part-time freaking champions if you are not going to be here full-time if you are not going to help elevate the title elevate the brand elevate the company go away and while John Cena is a great money grab and the kids like him it's all nostalgic honestly Roman I think is above all that. I think he's above the nostalgia because honestly, who are you bringing back that really challenges him? If John Cena, while they may trade verbal barbs or whatever, like I just don't think, I don't see John Cena really being the one to take the belt off of him. If you ask me who I think is going to take the belt off of him, I don't really know because he's just been such a dynamite champion that it's like, why do it in the first place? But also just John Cena just isn't the cat. I'd rather be somebody who's going to be there full time, who's going to be able to do the rematches, do defend the title, just really give Roman a run for his money. And I feel like in this match he probably will, but that doesn't mean he should. So I'm going Roman to retain. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to NXT TakeOver 36. Y'all know how much I love NXT and how usually NXT takeovers are the event that I'm most looking forward to. In comparing the cards, I'm probably like, I'm probably about even this time around. So who knows who will win my affections? We'll find out on next week's show. Uh, So let's go ahead and kick this off. Million Dollar Championship, LA Knight defending his title against Cameron Grimes. And if he beats Cameron Grimes, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, will become his new butler. While I think the butler thing for Cameron Grimes could have been better, it's still not bad. It gets a couple of chuckles. But I think that I think that the LA Knight and Cameron Grimes thing has kind of run its course a bit. And so with that being said, I do think that Cameron Grimes wins and they kind of like go their own separate ways. Truthfully, I really don't know where the million dollar championship goes from here, um, but if not between these two guys. But I'm interested to see how NXT does it. Um, I make I trust Triple H's vision enough to like 
for this title to mean something. And then I also trust his judgment enough to where if it's not working, he's not going to try to force it. Cough, cough, 24-7 championships. Why is that still a thing? So, yeah, I'm going Cameron Grimes. Uh, NXT UK Championship, Walter defending his title against Ilya Dragunov. I, I, I'm saying Ilya, but honestly, if Walter just wanted to hold on to this thing for a bit longer until he faces someone like, hell, Pete Dunn again, you know, just throwing that out, I'd be perfectly fine with that. I think that with Walter, like, in NXT UK, it's just kind of like, what more do you really have to do? What more do you have to prove? You've beaten everyone, decisively beaten everyone. And there's a whole nother batch of talent on the other side of the pond. And that's just speaking in terms of like NXT. And so I think that it's going to be Ilya's time for the UK championship. And I think that Walter comes over and becomes like a dominant force in NXT, really gets Imperium together. And it's just another like, another badass, um, big man uber athletic dude who just tears the ring up because he's a ring general he's so freaking good and i'm excited to see what he can do next now if he retains the title i wouldn't be surprised or i wouldn't be upset about it but i think that it's Ilya's time and i think that it's time for walter to come to the u.s come on i want to see you every tuesday night there's there's a few dream matches i got lined up all right, next up, the undisputed finale, two out of three falls match, Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly. Like I said, I don't like looking at the rumors. I don't like looking at the, the stories, but I think I feel in my soul that the days of Adam Cole and the NXT are, are winding down, and it breaks my heart because I freaking love Adam Cole. Like, if I really had to think about it, he's probably my favorite male wrestler in the business today. And so him being gone actually hurts my soul. Um, But I think he goes out with a bang, you know? I think he goes out in a hell of a blaze of glory, even though he still loses to Kyle O'Reilly. I think that he beats Kyle in the first match. I think Kyle gets him in the street fight. And then when it comes to the steel cage, I think that Kyle O'Reilly ends up winning. Would I want Adam Cole to win? Absolutely. But if he really is going to leave, what better way to elevate your brother than have him win the undisputed finale? And it can really kind of set him on, you know, that. Can't think of the word. It can really help re really um make him. Gosh, I can't I can't think of English. Regardless, if he it really help out Kyle O'Reilly a lot if he were to defeat Adam Cole to, to definitively beat him, especially if Adam Cole was already gonna be walking out the door. Kyle O'Reilly's still gonna be here. Kyle O'Reilly can really use this as an opportunity to become one of the faces of NXT, if we're being honest. And I think that what better way to do it for your brother? Now, this all means nothing if Adam Cole stays, because of course in that case, I want Adam Cole to win. But I still think Kyle O'Reilly wins. All right, next up, the NXT Women's Championship. Raquel Gonzalez versus Dakota Kai. <sighs> I have Raquel winning mainly because, actually and only because, not even just mainly. I think Dakota Kai goes to SmackDown or Raw and... Raquel stays in NXT for a while and remains that dominant champion. 
as much as I would love for Dakota Kai to finally get her comeuppance and finally become NXT Women's Champion, because honestly, she could have really came in a while ago. I think that... I think that it's time for her to also go to the main roster. I think that Raw could really use her. They could use a new influx of bodies. And I just think, I'm not going to say she's outgrown NXT because I I think that NXT is such a great opportunity for so many people. So I'm not going to say outgrown it. But I do think that the days of her necessarily needing this championship are over. And I think that she can do so many more things, you know, on Raw, like I mentioned. And... Raquel can continue to grow and get better on NXT because in terms of like comparing her right now to the people who are um, currently in, you know, WWE, I don't think she's necessarily ready for it as opposed to, you know, Dakota, you could argue has been ready for it for years, especially um, after the Tegan saga. She really established that she can be a great heel as well as a great face. And I think it's really just a matter of time before she really takes WWE by storm and speaking of storm hey tony and um i'm just excited to see what what she can do next now of course this is similar to like adam cole like if she stays in nxt i want her to win 150 percent. but i do think that raquel is going to be the winner of this match and then finally samoa joe versus carrion cross i i can't i i don't think i can put into words just how excited I am to have Samoa Joe back in a WWE ring. I freaking love Samoa Joe. I love his look. I love his voice. I love his promos. I love his wrestling style. I love Samoa Joe. He is, in terms of just all-encompassing, like, everything wrestlers do, he is definitely... One of those guys who had the injuries not kind of taken him out of action, he would easily be at worst in my top 15 all-time favorite wrestlers. And that's at worst. He really could be higher. I love just about everything about Samoa Joe. And I'm going to love it even more when he has gold around his waist because he's going to beat Karrion Cross. And Karrion Cross has been a very dominant champion. He has. Has he been one of the best NXT champions? No. Has he been good as other NXT competitors who were not champion? No. Like, if we're doing a hierarchy here, there are people I would put ahead of Karrion Cross. Namely, you know, that one guy who, if they want to make Adam Cole feel special, all they got to do is ring the freaking bell. Like, it, it's, it's a few other guys who I would put over Karrion Cross in terms of just talent. Which sounds bad, because not to say that Karrion Cross isn't good, but I just I just feel them more. I like them more. I'm more invested in them. And Samoa Joe is definitely one of those guys who you get invested in because he is just so unapologetically him that it's like it's almost impossible not to gravitate towards it because he's just so freaking authentic. He is so freaking real in just the emotion he puts into everything and the excitement he puts into everything and just how serious he takes everything just makes him so freaking awesome to watch and makes me such a huge fan of his. And it's only right. The circle of life, baby, three-time NXT champion. You know, NXT is going through a different turn a new direction well hey Samoa Joe can help steer that ship 
with all the changes going on, and he can definitely be one of those consistent pieces, one of those guys who makes sure that NXT stays the course, stays great, because Samoa Joe is a draw. Just see the fan reactions for him. Even when he was on commentary, people love freaking Samoa Joe. And I'm going to love him even more as NXT champion. But those are my SummerSlam predictions. Thank you guys so much for listening to this. Thank you so much for listening to the whole show. If you made it this far, you're a real one. Love you. Thank you. Um, but, yeah, please be sure to check out the ExtraPort.net. I repeat the ExtraPort.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow ExtraPort writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The ExtraPort. Also, of course, because... As you know, I'm always plugging stuff. Be sure to uh, stay on the lookout for our, the X-Report Fantasy Football Preview for this year, 2021. Ethan and I spent a good amount of time working on it. You should definitely check it out because it was a lot of fun to make. It's always fun talking football, always fun talking fantasy football, even if your fantasy league does not necessarily reflect that. It's okay. It happens to everybody. But, yeah, be on the lookout for that. Also, on our YouTube channel, um, you can see a talk I did with the new Nexus report, I mean network, sorry, that y'all should definitely be checking out, hosted by Marcus Davenport, a very good friend of mine, a great mind, and a huge sports fan. So, yeah, we talk NFL, which, of course, we do here, but it was a whole different conversation. I wasn't, you know, I was actually in an interview, which is a fun little switch to things. So, yeah, definitely be on the lookout for that. Once again, thank you all so much for listening. Be on the lookout for new content coming up. We're going to try to make the YouTube channel something that is used a lot more than it has been before. So, I'm going to look out for that. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you all next time.